Okay, so today, as we are shifting gears now to towards the end of Mark chapter 1, we'll be in verses 29 through 34 today. We've been looking at these different aspects of Christ revealing himself as the Son of God. That's the focal point of the book. And Mark is taking these stories and he's presenting them, not chronologically. Remember, we talked about that. He's not giving us chronological breakdown of all that Jesus is doing, but he's strategically placing these stories in place to show that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We call the sermon series, Jesus Is. So when we read every story, we should be reading it as Jesus saying, See? I'm the Son of God. I have authority. See, I'm the Son of God. I'm doing this. See, I'm the Son of God. I'm doing that. But the lesson that we're going to be looking at, the message that we're going to be unfolding here this morning, is going to be talking about the heart of Christ, our healer. We've talked about the power that he has to heal as the Son of God. But the passage that we're going to look at today, it shows us the heart of Jesus. Now, let me talk about the heart again. I know I've mentioned this in a few messages, but it's important that we define our terms. When I say heart, what the Bible has to say about the human heart is much different than what the world has to say about the human heart. If you've never heard me say this before, I believe here, especially in America, we have what's called a Valentine's Day version of the heart. Okay, the heart is all emotion-driven. It is your feelings. It's it's how you feel. And that's part of it. But that is so incomplete when the Bible talks about the human heart. All right, when the Bible talks about the human heart, the Bible's basically talking about the things that you love, the things that you fear, and the things that you desire. Okay? The things that you love, the things that you fear, and the things that you desire. Because those three, those three things make up ultimately what you worship. And what you worship is who or what has your heart. So when I say heart, I'm not just talking feelings. I'm talking about who you are. The Bible basically tells us that the heart is the steering wheel to the soul. That's the heart. And it is amazing to us that as hard as it is to understand any one thing about God, because he's infinite in all of his qualities, that God is still a person. God is a person that has a heart. Now, Jesus in his humanity did have a physical beating heart. But God, our creator, who is spirit, still has a heart in the fact that he is a person to be known and loved and to enter into communion with. And it's amazing that God loves us enough to reveal himself to us. We've talked in several weeks about the two ways in which he does that. General revelation and special revelation. General revelation is nature. You can walk outside and get bits and pieces of the heart of God by just looking at the beauty of nature and saying, wow. Somebody created this. But then there's special revelation, and that's the Word written, the Scriptures, and the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Jesus, and we look at the things that He does, and it shows us not only who He is, but where His heart is. We can know the heart of God when we know the heart of Christ. And I love passages like the one we're going to look at here this morning because we get past the surface level and we begin to truly see the heart of the God who created us. Jesus Christ reveals to us the very heart of the living God. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we see a God who has a heart to heal his people. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us, by his wounds, we are healed. Now, these wounds talking about here in Isaiah 53 are the atonement on the cross for our sins, okay, on Calvary's hill. And that healing brings about a renewed relationship with the very ones whom he created. 
But years before he ever took the cross, Christ demonstrates over and over his heart to heal the broken. Today we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, and we'll see this proof over and over and over again of what, who Christ is and his heart to bring about healing. He is the true Son of God who came to heal the broken, but if we look even closer, we'll get a chance to see the heart of Christ our healer. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Again, Mark chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 29 through 34. And if you would please stand in the tradition of this church and out of reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word, and let's read God's word together. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse number 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Verse 32. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this day that you have made, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your house. And we thank you for your people who are in your house reading your word. Father, I'm so grateful for your son. In your son, we see you, the invisible God made visible. We see your heart, for we know you have a heart to heal the broken. And we come to you in this house confessing, Father, that we are broken before you and we need your continual healing. Father, I pray in this time as we open up your word that you would open up hearts and minds, that the precious Holy Spirit would take this sanctuary captive, take my tongue captive. Father, we pray that you would change hearts and minds today, that non-believers would re respond to this message in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and those who are believers would grow closer to a Savior who heals. Father, please be with us in this time. I pray for your presence and the strength of your spirit. In your Son's name I pray, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. In this very short passage that we're going to walk through verse by verse, I believe this morning that we can see four, not three, four ways that we see the heart of Christ our healer. This is not the only four, but there's four unique ways in this small little passage that we're going to look at where we can really begin to see the heart of God. And so as we open up the passage here in Mark 129, the first of those four ways is this. Look at the closeness of our healer. Verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Well, let's put this into context to understand the closeness of our healer. First of all, this is taking place on the Sabbath, and we'll see later in chapter 2, this is really significant because the, the Jews of the Old Testament had very specific Sabbath laws, and we'll talk about that more in weeks to come. All right, but let me give you just a preview of what we're going to be talking about. So in the Old Testament, you had what was called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was written down oral interpretations of Hebrew law. 
And they would take the Ten Commandments and flesh out more interpretations and more guardrails around those ten laws to eventually there became 613 laws, which is funny because we'll talk in a few weeks about how Christ is Lord of the Sabbath and he comes and breaks some of those so-called laws, but they're not the laws as God interpreted them. They're laws as mankind interpreted them because he is always Lord of the Sabbath. But one of those laws was in ancient Jewish history that during the Sabbath... Jews could only travel what we would consider today either three-fifths or four-fifths of a mile. Because back then, how they would measure a mile is by the strides of a Roman soldier. All right, so a thousand double paces of a Roman soldier would be 2,000 steps. So basically, in a given Sabbath day, the laws not instituted by God, but by the people trying to honor God, were that they could only travel 2,000 steps the whole day. And they would measure those steps by getting to the synagogue and getting back from the synagogue. And so if you decided that you were going to have a Sabbath meal, which was tradition after the service, just like Southern Baptists at 12 o'clock, okay, you had to make up your mind whose house you were going to because you didn't want to waste those 2,000 steps. All right, And so Jesus, it says here in the passage, immediately after leaving the synagogue, he enters into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So already he's made a pretty significant decision that he wants to spend time with these people, and he wants to be close to them. And he enters into the house. Simon, of course, Simon Peter, we know him as the Apostle Peter, and he's one of the prominent writers of the New Testament in addition to Paul, and he's the prominent uh, apostle that Jesus leaves in charge upon his departure and ascension to the right hand of God the Father. This is one of the first times that Peter gets this firsthand witness of the closeness of Jesus Christ, the closeness of Jesus Christ. And in the moment of needing healing, we want to be close to God. We want to be close to someone who we think can fix the issue we have, even if we don't know if they can or not. You know, when I think about this in my own life, I remember growing up in Philadelphia, and we had a, a big thing in Philadelphia that you don't have so much in South Georgia is basements because of the, you know, the climate here and the, and the sandy soil here. You can't really have basements in South Georgia. Uh, they have to be above ground. Well, in Philadelphia, life happens in the rec room is what we call it. All right, That's where the TV is. All right, that's where the sporting events are. That's where the parties are. And in my, my house, my father always spent uh, every waking hour in the house in the rec room, either watching the Weather Channel or watching Sports Center. And uh, whenever I was sick, I, ever since I was a little kid, whenever I was sick in the middle of the night, I'd wake up, and the first thing I would do is go down to the rec room, and my, there was two couches, and I'd sit on the couch across from my dad, and I'd just curl up in the fetal position, and I wouldn't say a word. Now, my father's not a physician, in fact, my father would be hard-pressed to tell you where the ibuprofen is in the house. All right, he, has no, he had no ability to bring about any healing. He, you know, he hardly ever had any words of comfort other than when I would sit there, he knew I was hurting. And I already felt a sense of warmth just being in his presence. And think about this more eternally. God became a human being, and that human being was among his people. Okay? Jesus was not out of reach. He was approachable. He spent the Sabbath in the synagogue preaching and teaching the Holy Word, and then after the service, spending time with His people. There's a closeness there. It's Sabbath, and He's entering into their homes together. That's the closeness of our healer. Let me say before we move on to point number two, we can still enjoy this closeness with Christ right now for one very important reason. Brother Larry, you asked me this a couple of weeks ago. 
and hopefully on a Sunday night we can flesh this out a little bit more. But why is it that Jesus had to ascend to the Father for the Holy Spirit to come down? Well, when Jesus was here physically, he could only be in, in his humanity, he could only be in one place at one time. But when he ascended to the Father and sent down his Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is living inside of us, ministering to us, drawing us to him. The Bible calls that union with Christ. All right? He talks about that a lot in John 15, about abiding in the vine. If a man abides in me and I abide in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The closeness that we have with Jesus Christ is beyond words. And he's calling us to renew that closeness every day. You do not have a God who's a million miles away, who doesn't understand your brokenness. You have a God who's as close to you as the air you breathe. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. The closeness of our healer. Number two, let's look at the concern of our healer. Verse 30, it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Now, we don't know the specifics of this situation, but what I would gather is when they walk into the house, I don't know if Peter is realizing that his mother-in-law is ill. They're they're looking to have Jesus over for this Sabbath meal. But as they walk in, all right, as they walk in, it says Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. They, weren't tell, they didn't tell him before because they may not have known, but immediately they tell him, and there's a tacit assumption that Jesus is concerned because he listens enough for them to want to tell him. He's concerned. He's listening. This implies that he was approachable, that he was willing to listen that they believed he would listen, and that in listening, he could bring healing. You know, as I was studying this message, all these other passages that Peter himself wrote in the scriptures started to connect with me. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This may have been one of the very first times that Peter ever came to that realization that you can speak directly to God because he cares, because he's concerned. Peter learned this by going to a Savior who would listen. Do you know right now you have a God who listens? He's close and he's concerned. He created you. He knows every hair on the top of your head. He knows every worry and frustration that you have, even before you say what's on your heart or mind. And yet he's calling on you to cast those anxieties on him. These men went right to him when they saw that the woman was ill, and immediately they told him about her. But number three, look at the compassion of our healer. Verse 31, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now think about this. Last week, as we were walking through an earlier passage in Mark 1, we talked about by the mere words, God had the power through His Son, Jesus Christ, to cast out unclean spirits. He spoke a word just like He spoke a word for the world to come into existence. He spoke a word to the man who was possessed by a demon and told the demon to be gone, and the demon was gone. But He takes a completely different approach in this passage. Could He have spoken to Simon's mother-in-law? Yeah. Could he have healed her that way? Absolutely. But did he? No. What does it say? 
he took her by the hand and lifted her up. Don't miss this. In our individual Bible studies, we, we gloss over these passages and we miss the intricate details that God is revealing to us about who he is. Don't miss this. He is taking her by the hand and lifting her up and the fever is leaving her and then she begins to serve them. Put that in your mind. God reached out and touched her. Uh, you know, I think about all the songs that um, make Cedar Street Baptist Church famous in my heart. One of them is one that Clint sang. Another one is, of, is when Ryan and Reese sing Christmas Shoes and uh, the Midnight Cry with uh, Men of Praise. And then you think, um, I think of the Cedar Street Boys who sang quite a bit when I was here. I'm still waiting for Kenny Cody Woody. I'm still waiting for it somewhere, somehow. I believe he can, he could, he would, and he did. So we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait and see if that song rises to the surface again. But I always remember Jody singing those words, He touched me. And that's about as much as I'm going to sing. But, but stop and think. Stop and think about those words. God touched her. Oh, we need that touch. We need that touch. We are all broken, and we need the touch of God. He took her by the hand. He lifted her up. The fever left her, but the tender touch of God remains. And what was her response? She began to serve them. Every time God does something, there's always a greater purpose. Jesus meets her physical need to speak to his ability as the Son of God to meet her spiritual need. And as he meets her spiritual need, what is her response? In gratitude to rise and serve. Is that not the same calling that God has placed on our lives as believers in Jesus Christ? We have physical needs and we go to him. We have spiritual needs, our separation from God because of sin. We place our faith in Christ. We repent of our sin. We believe that he has atoned for our sins on the cross, given us the gift of eternal life from his resurrection. And then we follow him in obedience. Physical needs, spiritual needs. But when he touches us, we respond by touching others. What he does for us, we do for others. That's how the kingdom of God is built. That's how the church is built. We respond in grateful obedience by doing for others what Christ has done for us. Let me say this. Let me make one thing clear before we move on. Here's where, here's where things get muddy. And I, I think we need to avoid extremes when we're talking about the Christian walk and it comes to healing. All right, from a spiritual aspect, I think everybody in this room would admit that we are healed spiritually by his wounds on the cross and we are given the gift of eternal life when our hearts have been changed and we are born again. That has been sealed, all right? The, the down payment on that's the Holy Spirit. At the second coming of Christ, we'll receive the, the gift that God has promised us. But let's talk about the immediate short-term healing, all right? There's two extremes when it comes to this and I've seen churches get way off in a ditch on both sides, all right? There's the extreme over here that says God always brings physical healing. And if we don't see that physical healing, that means there's not enough faith in the person who wants healing. Wrong. Wrong. I've seen the godliest men and women ask for a physical healing and not receive one because it was not God's will eternally. 
And the reason why we can't fully answer that question is we can't see what God sees. God sees beyond time and space. And so when he may not heal a physical person in time and space right now, there's a greater eternal purpose for why he's done that that we may never know. All right? But let's, not avoid, let's avoid the other extreme, that we don't pray because we say God's going to do what he's going to do whether I pray or not. Wrong. Prayer shows us that God will do what he otherwise would not have done had we not prayed. If he didn't, why are we praying? All right? He's sovereignly in control of all things, but in the midst of his sovereignty, and we've talked about this before, he enables prayers to change things that otherwise would not have happened. That's the power of prayer. And so when it comes to physical needs, let's continue to pray for one another. All right. Ultimately, Larry Guido taught me this a long time ago. God's answer to prayer when it comes to physical needs is either yes or my grace is sufficient. And I believe that's a wonderful answer to that. But can I tell you one thing? I've experienced in my life many other people who've been miraculously physical healed. And I've seen it in this church. I've experienced it myself one time. One time. So one time, uh, this was when Ashley and I first started dating back in 2011, I believe it was. And I got called to preach a Sunday morning at Nunez Baptist Church. Brother John Tewilliger from the Gideons, a good friend of mine, asked me to come and speak a message at Nunez Baptist. And I was as sick as sick gets. I could not stand up straight. And I called Ashley. We'd only been dating a few weeks. I called her. I said, uh, hey, before you come pick me up to take me to Nunez, can you get some Pepto-Bismol and start praying? <laughs> I'm going I'm to exhaust every avenue of healing I possibly can. All right, so I had a bottle of Pepto-Bismol, a Sprite. I had the Bible in one hand, the, the, the Pepto-Bismol in the other hand, and she's driving, and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, carry me through this hour. I did not want to lose this opportunity to preach the word. I'd given the church my, my word that I would do it. We got into the service, and it gets getting worse. I'm starting to see blurred visions of everything, and I can't even stand up. They're telling me to sit down during the time of, of uh, singing and praise. And then all of a sudden... The chairman of the deacons there got up and said, young man, would you come forward? And he anointed my head with oil, and every man circled me. All the deacons circled me, laid hands on me, and prayed. And I sat back down. Nothing changed. And I'm, I'm, I'm under my breath, I'm saying, God, I need you. I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to get sick. You've got to do something. And I'm, I'm walking up the stairs, holding the Bible in my hand, saying, God, please, and I opened up the Bible. I was in the book of Luke. And the first word I spoke, every ounce of, of nausea completely left me. I preached for 35 minutes. I stayed an hour later in worship. And I think we even went to lunch. I'm telling you, I've never, I can't put into words what God did in that moment. God still heals. Amen. Now, there, amen. Amen. He doesn't always do it the way he th we think he's going to do. He doesn't. We can't put parameters on him. There's many times that I have prayed, and, and God has not answered the prayer the way I wanted him to. There's loved ones that I've prayed that God would, would leave here on this earth just a little bit longer, and he didn't. I believe with all of my heart, every single one of those questions will be answered when we know him eternally in his kingdom. And I think by then, we won't even care. But he is a compassionate healer. 
before I move on, Acts chapter 3, verse 7. Again, this is talking about the apostle Peter. It says, And he took him by the right hand, meaning a lame beggar, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong again. Stop and think about that. The apostle Peter, who saw Jesus do these things, we see later on in Scripture as he's called to go on behalf of Christ and bring about healing, he does the same thing, reaching out his hands, lifting them up, and healing him with a compassionate touch. That's the compassion of our healer and those who follow our healer. But finally, that leads me to the fourth of our looks at uh, the heart of Christ, our healer. Let's look at the commitment of our healer. This is verses 32 through 34. It says, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Mm. In three minutes, I can't fully flesh out all that's happening here, but I'll do my best. All right, so let's look at the passage. It says in verse 32, That evening at sundown they brought, all, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Here's why that sentence is significant. Sabbath was sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. Jesus began healing during the Sabbath, which in later in chapter 2 we'll see people are not very happy about. But then you have others who are still honoring these man-made Sabbath laws, and then they wait for the sun to go down on Saturday night, and then they come because the Sabbath is over. And they're crowding the doors. They're crowding the doors. It says the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now let's be honest. This is a, this is a literary technique called hyperbole. All right, This does not mean the entire city was standing there. Even if the city of Metter, Georgia was standing at the entrance of Cedar Street Baptist Church, we wouldn't be able to count all the heads. I mean, but we can understand that a great part of the city was, was gathering around, gathering around. And it says, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Once again, Jesus is meeting physical needs to point to himself as the son of God who can meet spiritual needs. All right. Let's not take the physical healings and elevate them as the most important point because they're not, all right? Christian television today is deplorable because they make everything about physical healing and physical prosperity, health and wealth, and I'm telling you, that's not what the Scripture's teaching. No matter how wealthy you are, you can't take the money with you. No matter how great your health is physically, one day you'll pass away. The physical healings are important, but they're not the point. The point is Jesus is the Son of God. And he has the power to do what only the Son of God can do. And he starts by meeting physical needs, and then he goes on to meet the eternal spiritual needs. And and in this passage, we see mass chaos taking place. An entire city is flooding him. This is after the Sabbath. He's already spent hours healing and spending time with others, and yet he continues to heal. He continues to draw. And, you know, in studying this, many commentators say that the majority of the people coming to him most likely were not coming for spiritual reasons. All right, they came because they wanted something and he could give them what they wanted. And I'll be honest with you, that's true of almost every church in, in the world as well. There are some coming into the walls of God's house on a Sunday morning because they love him and they want to worship him. And then some are coming because they believe they have something wrong in their life and they just want God to make it right. But you know what? Jesus healed both of them because that's his heart. That's the heart of Christ, our healer. We can't, I can't, I can't, I feel so inadequate preaching this passage, trying to articulate his compassion. I, I, I will, I will realize in his physical presence one day 
how inadequate I am to do this. But my goodness, He's close to us. He's concerned about us. He's compassionate towards us. And oh, how He's committed to us. Can, can you imagine? All right, all of us here have been in hospitals and nursing homes. You, you've been in a house or a room with people who are sick, and there's a different feeling. All right, there's a different smell. Let's be honest, okay? Hospitals are not the greatest places in terms of sights, sounds, and smells. It's not, the best, it's not the most fun place to be. Now, can you imagine an entire city worth of people who are sick coming to one doorstep? What that must have smelt like? What that must have been like? How many of the apostles and others wanted to flee and not get sick? But Jesus stands right there at the threshold of the door and heals one by one. He's meeting physical needs. He's pointing to his ability to meet spiritual needs as the Son of God. So as we close, our conclusion is this. Jesus Christ has a heart to heal the broken, but will you confess your brokenness to him? Will you confess your brokenness to him? You know, there's a direct correlation to every single person who was healed in this passage. They admitted they were broken. All right? Somebody had to go to to Jesus and tell them that Simon's mother-in-law was sick. He had to know she was sick before he brought about healing. And then those who were brought to the city, diseases, demons, they had to go to Jesus. They had to confess they were broken. And eternally speaking, each and every single one of us who has a desire to be with God forever, we must confess the brokenness that because of our sin, we cannot approach God. There's a chasm all right, wider than the Grand Canyon between us and God. That's brokenness. And you can't cross the Grand Canyon on your own. You need a bridge. And the bridge to get from one side to the other is Jesus Christ. He's the one who came to heal. But we have to first confess that we're broken. So as we enter into a time of invitation, I don't know where you're at in your journey with the Lord right now. Some of you You're faithful believers in Jesus Christ, but maybe you're going through emotional or physical turmoil in your life, and you need healing. And you are just waiting for the floodgates to close up. So much, so fast, all happening. You need the healing of Christ. You need to know His presence. You need to know His strength, His concern, His compassion. Come to Him. Come to Him. Some of you need that spiritual healing. All right, some of you do not know how separated you are from God. You may know him up here, but your heart has never changed. Jesus Christ died for you, taking on your punishment, lived for you, earning your righteousness, rose again, offering you eternal life, ascended to the Father, sending down his spirit so that he could be with you, and promised to come back a second time to establish his heavenly kingdom on earth. And your response is repentance, turning away from sin, Faith, trusting in Him, and obedience, following Him every step along the way. All of us are broken. All of us need a healer, and that healer is calling out to you right now. Will you listen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, I confess my inadequacy to be able to truly express your compassion and your concern and your closeness, and your commitment to the people of God. But Father, where I'm inadequate, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and do His work.
there's brokenness in this room right now, Father. There's physical disease. There's emotional turmoil. There's spiritual lostness. And only Jesus can bring about that healing, Father. And He will only come if we come and confess that we need to be healed. So I pray at this moment, Father, that You would work and work mightily in the hearts and minds of those in this room who are broken and either don't know it or don't want to confess it. Move in their hearts, Father, I pray. Enable them to respond in repentance and faith. And Your Son, our Savior, and our Healer, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.